We are in the second week as we study the book of Colossians. We'll spend two more weeks after today. Last week we looked at what it meant to center our lives under Jesus, and this week we're going to talk about what it means to build our lives and how that's possible. You know, the last two days, or not the last two days, but Thursday and Friday of this week here at this site, we hosted this thing called the Global Leadership Summit. Has anybody, anybody heard of this? Anybody? Yep, you guys. How many were here? A few? Well, we hosted the Global Leadership Summit and uh, lasted two days. It's actually broadcast out of South Barrington, out of Willow Creek Church. It happens there live and has been for the last 25 years. And they assemble a world-class faculty of leaders, Christian leaders, to teach and to encourage other leaders and to inspire other leaders, not only within the church, but within industry, within business, from all walks of life. They bring in a faculty to help teach, and people like Craig Rochelle from Life Church is now leading that charge. But they bring in people like Patrick Lencioni and Joe Saxton, and this year one of their keynotes was Bear Grylls, who got to share his testimony with everyone. And it was fascinating. And probably while that was the most fascinating, it wasn't the most fascinating part for me. When I collapsed on the couch Friday night, Terry asked me, she's like, so what was your big takeaway from those two days? And I said, you're going to have to give me a few minutes. I said, because I'm exhausted and I have to really kind of process that. But as I processed that, the thing that really stuck in my mind, again, the leaders were, the, the speakers were phenomenal. But what really stuck with me was this, this group of volunteers. There were over 55 volunteers, not from just this church, but from other churches, as far away as Elburn and Palatine, that came together to put on this summit. And we were a simulcast site. We were a premium host site where they streamed in live what was happening up at South Barrington. And that happened at over 600 locations around the country, including 89 prisons. And this summit will also be held in about 120 countries in this upcoming year. And this group of 55 volunteers started back in March to prepare for this summit and hosted 162 people here from all different walks of life, 80% of which, kind of like this crowd, hadn't experienced the Global Leadership Summit and were blessed by it. It was amazing to hear the stories and hear the laughter in the room and people transformed and inspired by these leaders. But what was most amazing to me was to see the church. I'm talking the big C church. You know what I mean when I say that? The universal church, the invisible church, the kingdom of God on earth. Not, not just one location, but everyone is the big C church. And we got to see the big C church come together centered underneath Jesus. Focused on Jesus and his affairs. And sharing that with leaders around the country and eventually around the world. And we, you, got to be a part of that. And we signed up to do it again next year, August 6th and 7th. You can find more about that on the website. But I would encourage you to seek into it because it was inspiring. But what was most inspiring were all these people who gave countless hours focused on what Jesus was doing for the sake of the gospel, to share that gospel and to be a part of a movement. That's what it means to be centered under Jesus. Not just one location, but the church, the big C church, coming together underneath Jesus, being led by Jesus, the head of the church, the most preeminent one, the most important one, 
We line our lives up underneath his teaching and his ways. And as I said earlier, this week we're going to look at what it means to actually build our lives, not just centered on him, but built upon him. We don't just line up underneath his teaching, we actually build and grow under his leadership. Together, as the church, we grow, not apart, but together, centered on him, built on him, built on Jesus. And today we're going to look at Colossians, that you heard Hannah read, 20, verse 24 out of chapter 1 to verse 7 out of chapter 2. And I think we'll see four things. I think we'll see that it's Jesus that actually continues to build his church, that he's the architect of his church. He's the one that calls his church, and he builds it. And we see that in response to his love, that we share that news with the world. But we also see that when we do, the message can be rejected. It is not irresistible. But take heart. Jesus is still building his church. He's still growing his church, as he promises to do even today. So let's turn to Colossians. If you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them on your phone, paper version, whatever. I would encourage you, bring your Bibles to church as we go through the text this morning. I'm going to be using the New Living Translation as we go through it this morning. Paul starts, he says, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Paul is writing from prison. Let's stop right there. Paul. The Apostle Paul, who used to be called Saul. He was a Pharisee. And as Saul, as Paul, as a Pharisee, he used to hunt down Christians. This is what Paul says of himself in Acts chapter 26. He says, I too was convicted convinced that I ought to do all possible things to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. Blaspheme, what he used to call blasphemy, he now calls what he did blasphemy. I was, so, I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. That's the man that's now writing from prison and saying, I'm glad I'm in prison. I'm glad that I'm suffering for you. The man that used to be so glad that these people would suffer for him, he was so obsessed with them suffering, persecuting them, that he just he left Jerusalem, went everywhere he could to hunt them down. Now this same man is in prison and glad that he's there. If you remember in verse 23, he said he's there because he's been called by God to be a minister of the gospel. And he sees himself being in prison as part of God's plan. And he's there, he says, suffering for the church in Colossae. I'm eager, he says, to suffer for you. That's what Paul's saying to us. 
He's eager and happy to be suffering. What happened to this guy? It was Jesus that met him on the road to Damascus. It was Jesus that changed his mind. It's when he actually met Jesus that everything changed. And you would think this guy, of all guys, would have certainly rejected that call. But he didn't. Jesus got his attention. And now he's in prison in Rome, writing to this church in Asia Minor, saying, I'm so glad I'm here for you. What is he doing? What does he say? Last week I was watching this program on Discovery. It's called Serengeti. Anybody watch it? Seriously? Nobody watched it anyway. So I'm the only geek in the room. So anyway, it's a story. it was highlighting animal families and groups of animals in the Serengeti in Africa. And one of the families that they highlighted was this hyena family, this, this pack of hyenas. Now, the thing that we learned, I learned about hyenas is that they are led by an alpha. And that alpha is a female, kind of like the families I know, like my own family. <laughs> the alpha in the family is a female. And the next in line is her daughter. And the lead female, the alpha, is always training her daughter because one day her daughter is going to take over. And one of the things they showed is how the mother encouraged the daughter to help take down prey. And in doing so, the younger female got injured, hurt her leg. And about that time, it drew the attention of some lions, and two male lions came in to where they were, and they singled in on the young female because she was weak and hurt. Now the mother knowing that she's the future of the pack, what does the mother do? The mother runs over and lays down in front of the lions and gives up herself for the sake of her daughter and for the sake of the pack. And the lions killed her instead of her daughter and the pack. That's what Paul's saying he's doing. He's in prison. He's taken the heat. He's in Rome. He says, I'm glad to suffer on your behalf. Because you are the hope of the world. And I'm glad to be punished for you. To continue as Jesus. That's what Paul's saying to them. I'm glad to do that for you. He goes on to, to remind us that's exactly what Jesus said. It's exactly what Jesus did. He said, truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. That's exactly what happened with Jesus. And that's exactly what happened in the churches in Asia Minor. Paul took the heat. Paul suffered. And the church grew. He goes on to say, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming the entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for Gentiles too. 
And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. See, Jesus is building his church. Jesus chose Paul. God chose Paul. And God has chosen the Gentiles to be a part of that family. And Paul, before he was transformed, thought that was ridiculous. The Jewish leaders thought there was no way that Gentiles should be a part of God's chosen people. See, it says they call that a secret. Some of your translations might say a mystery, but really a single word in the English language doesn't really translate well what that means. It's not that it was kept secret from them. It wasn't told to them. It was something they did not know. Not that it wasn't knowable. It's just they didn't see it because they're just like Paul, obsessed with their own desires, obsessed with what was important to them the way they saw things, the way they pictured things should be, what the kingdom of God would look like. Not what the kingdom of God should look like according to God. And Jesus himself comes and testifies to reveal that truth to them. And some followed him, like Paul. And now Paul's saying that I'm call to teach that message not only to the Jew but to the Gentile. That is the mission God has given me. To share that, mis- that message with the Gentiles too. God has chosen you to be a part of his family. God has chosen you to build his church. You will be the church, the body of Christ. And it is God that has done that in you. Not because you're a chosen people. You are chosen by God and empowered by God for his purposes. God continues to be. He's the architect and the builder of his church. And here's what Paul says. Here's what the secret is, that God lives in you. See, he's in Rome, and he's like, they're going to put their pressure on me. They're going to kill me. They're going to think by killing me, the leader of this movement, that they're going to destroy the church. And what they don't understand is that God lives in you. And by killing me, it's only going to make the church stronger. That's what they don't understand. They made the same mistake with Jesus. They thought by killing him, they could kill this movement. And they only made it stronger. Jesus has only been an encouragement. It revealed his power as he intended it to do. That's what Paul is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. That's how much Jesus cares for you. That's how much he cares for this church. He's given you power. That power lives in you. And because of what Jesus has done, Paul says, we tell others about it. We can't help but share that truth with others about Jesus, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that God has given us. We want to present them perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why Paul says, I work so hard, I struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power within me, not upon my own strength, but upon 
God's strength, upon his power within me. That's why I work so hard, because of what he's done for me, because he called me, this guy that used to hunt down Christians, that used to persecute Christians, that stood there and held the coats and said, yes, stone him. Jesus saved him. He's done that for people like Paul and and people like me. And in response to that, how can you not but share that with the world? How can you keep that to yourself is what Paul's saying. How could you not struggle hard? That's why I do it, because of what Jesus has done. Not obsessed with my purposes, not obsessed with my plans, but obsessed with his, lined up under his affairs, not mine. Built on his power, not mine. How can you not share that? See, if we're focused on Jesus, if we're centered up under him, if we're building our life upon him, allowing him to grow us up into who he is, we are going to be other-focused. We will be concerned about those that do not know him so that we can present them perfect in their relationship with Jesus Christ because Jesus is coming again. And you are dying soon. And the mission is super critical because Jesus is coming again and there are people that don't know him. being centered under Christ, built on Christ, we are other-focused. Jesus strengthens us. He's at work in us, and we desire to see him at work in others, for others to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, so that upon that last day, we together can rejoice with all thanksgiving. We together can rejoice with all thanksgiving. But here's what we know. Not everyone Not everyone will believe. Some will reject the love of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say, I want you to know how much I've agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Here where he says, I am telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I'm far away from you, my heart is with you and I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. Paul circles back to this idea that he's struggling, that he is suffering, and that he is working hard for them. And he wants the fact that he's in prison soon to be executed. He wants the fact that he's in prison to be an encouragement to you. Now, don't you find that strange? I'm in jail. I'm going to be killed. Let that encourage you. See, what Paul is getting at is he doesn't want you to be surprised. He doesn't want this church to be surprised at his suffering. He wants them to be encouraged by it. Why? He said when you're sharing the word of God, when you're preaching Jesus, 
you can expect that there will be people that will oppose you and they will come into your life and they will try to deceive you with well-sounding arguments. And if they don't deceive you and they can't convince you, what will they do? They'll mock you. They'll persecute you. Some in this world will try to kill you. Paul says, I know. I was one of them. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that when you share Jesus, that people will reject you, that people will reject the love of Christ. That's what Jesus told his disciples. John chapter 16, he says, I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith, so that you won't be surprised, for you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God, just as Paul thought. This is because they've never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. You won't be surprised. Jesus said, the servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they're going to throw me out, if they're going to try and kill me, they're going to try and kill you. That's what he told his disciples. That's what Paul's reminding this church at Colossae. When they've killed me, when they're done with me, they'll continue. The sufferings of the church will continue. Don't be surprised. You know, one of the speakers we got to hear in the conference was this man named Jai Zhang. And Jai came to this country from Beijing when he was 16. And his desire, he said, was to unseat Bill Gates as the technology king in the world. That was his goal. And he wanted to come and go to Houston. And he ended up in rural Louisiana. But it's there that he met Jesus. It's there that Jesus was shared with him. And as he tried to live out his dream, as he tried to do the things that he so desired to do, he kept failing. And he said he kept hearing this voice on his shoulder, this six-year-old boy, this younger version of himself, reminding him of how many times he had been rejected in his life and how many times he had failed and who did he think he was and what made him believe that he could do anything. And you know what? Don't try, because if you don't try, you can't get rejected. And as he grew up, that, that, that younger version just kept saying that. Don't even try. Don't even try. They're going to reject you, as they've always done. And he said he really felt the need to overcome this. And he said, by other people telling me, hey, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, he goes, it just didn't help. And so he came across this website about this guy doing this thing called rejection therapy. And so he decided that he would take on the challenge of rejection therapy. Have you guys heard of rejection therapy? Rejection therapy is doing things that you know will be rejected. And doing them often enough that you can become almost like immune, but used to expecting rejection. So he did this challenge of 100 days of rejection therapy, and he made a list of a hundred ways that he could get rejected to sort of desensitize himself to being rejected. And he thought if he could do that, then it wouldn't be a thing. And here are a couple of things that he shared with us that he did. One of them was that he requested a burger refill. 
that's sure to get a no. And he was right, it got a no. Yeah, right? Think about this. And then he said he went up to somebody's house with a soccer ball underneath his arm, shin guards on, and said, can I play soccer in your backyard? He did this in Texas. The guy looks at him and goes, sure. And he's like, now what do I do? He's like, how am I going to play soccer by myself? And so he went in the backyard, just kind of kicked the soccer ball around. And he asked the guy, he says, why did you say yes? He said, well, it was such a crazy, crazy ask. I, I had to say yes. One of the other things he said he did was he asked strangers to rate his looks. <laughs> Think about that. Spend the rest of your day today asking a stranger, hey, do you mind rating my looks? He said, this is what he discovered. Rejection is an opinion. It has more to do with the person rejecting you than with you. Rejection is an opinion. And he learned, you're not supposed to be surprised by it. Expect it. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Jesus is saying. Expect it. If you're sharing the gospel, you can expect to be rejected. One of our values in this church is that we share the good news of Jesus Christ. I would argue that along with that value, we should value rejection. Because if we're not sharing it, we're not experiencing rejection. And I would argue that that's why we don't share it, because we don't want to be rejected. And Paul's saying, don't worry about that. You're going to be rejected. Put it this way. Would you rather go around asking strangers to rate your looks or ask them if they know Jesus? Which makes you more comfortable? In fact, if you want to know more about him, go to rejectiontherapy.com. He's got videos of, of him actually doing these things. How scary is it? Paul's saying, I want you to be encouraged by my suffering. Don't be surprised by suffering. Don't be surprised by being rejected. Expect it. But here's what. Some will take you up on it. Some will say yes. And some will follow you. And some will come to know Jesus Christ. That is why we do it. Not fearing rejection. Expecting it. Valuing it. Because it means that we're sharing the gospel. If you're not getting rejected, you're not sharing the gospel. Plain and simple. Paul goes on to say to this church and to us, he says, so now, just as you were accepted, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness, just like Paul is, as you're being rejected. You will grow and be thankful as your roots grow into him. You know, we said, and I said last week, and Paul's telling us here, that we don't grow into him apart. When he's talking about him, he's talking about the body. He's talking about the church. As we put our roots down into the church, as we grow together, he builds us up. 
You know, I learned this about redwood trees. You know, they're the tallest tree in the world. There's one out in California, I think it's 379 feet tall. That's higher than a football field. And there are many trees that are close to 300 or over 300 feet tall. But here's the thing I learned about redwoods. Their root system only goes down into the ground about five or six feet. A tree over 300 foot tall only has roots three feet, or five feet deep. But redwoods also have roots that extend up to 100 feet away from the trunk. So what does that mean? It means that their roots then intermingle, intertwine with the roots of other redwoods. And together, they support one another. In fact, some of the roots fuse into the roots of other trees, sort of like the two becoming one. And that's how these groves, how these forests of redwoods withstand winds and rain and drought and fire by standing together, by intertwining their roots with one another. And they grow together into these majestic trees. Paul's telling us that we, as the church, build our lives upon Jesus in the church as we intertwine our lives with one another. As we encourage one another, teach one another, admonish one another, and say, don't worry, they rejected me, they're going to reject you. And we can laugh at being rejected. And we can pray for those that are rejecting Jesus. And we can pray for one another. And we grow strong as Jesus intended it to be. See, Jesus continues to build his church and to strengthen his church. That's why he continues to call people into his church because it's there that we grow and learn our purpose in life. It's within the church that Jesus has designed us to exist. Erica said it earlier, if you're here, it's not by accident. God has called you here to be a part of his church, a part of his body. To grow you up, to strengthen you, so that together we can shine the light of Jesus to those that don't know them, don't know him. That's what he's called us to do, to build our lives on Jesus requires us to be a part of the church. Not apart from it, but a part of it. As Jesus designed it to be. Built on the center. Built on Jesus. And he uses messed up people like me to do that. He's calling all of us together build our roots down into this church to serve one another, to encourage one another so that we together can share the good news of Jesus Christ as Jesus intended it to be. Because Jesus continues to build his church and encourage and grow his church. Come back next week as we talk about what that looks like and more importantly, what that doesn't look like. Come back next week. Pray with me.